My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Sometimes people will surprise you. Not often, but often enough. A worm turns and a loser seeks victory. It can happen. A case in point. There was this fallacy way back in my high school days. Lester Lee Gooseberry was his name, and he was not what you'd call a star. No, sir. In neither sports nor academics, the lad was instead that sort of person who plods through life, having to study twice as hard to get half as good a grade as the smart boys. And when it came to football or baseball or basketball, well, he was a sandlot alternate, not varsity material, not by a long shot. The most you could say for old Lester Lee was that he knew his place in the school pecking order, walked the halls with his head down, eyes to the floor, making himself even less assuming, if that were possible. The only classmates he wasn't invisible to were the bullies. They can see in the ultraviolet spectrum when it comes to prey. But he endured our Lester Lee, and of course he was no paramour when it came to the young ladies. No, he came up awful dry on that score. It's hard for a gal to think highly of a fellow when he spent fully half his semester getting his head dunked in the commode and his undery shorts yanked high, chest high by the captain of the football team. That's just no draw for the fair sex. No, indeed. But his mama, she was a fine lady who saw what others did not, for she'd no doubt her invisible boy would one day turn things around and become quite the BMOC, that's big man on campus to you modern youth unfamiliar with such acronymous designations. Why, you might say she held faith in her son, second only to that she invested in the Son of God. Yes, sir. You just have to find your voice, she'd tell him while toweling the toilet water from his hair. Once you learn to speak from the heart, Lester Lee, there'll be no stopping you. Hall monitor, class treasurer, well, who knows, maybe even student council president. And Lester Lee would nod, never acknowledging that he considered it naught but idle fantasy that he should rise to such heights. Just like the reveries in civics class, as he stared at the back of Erna Mae Dilly's head. Erna Mae Dilly, the most beautiful girl in school, at least in his estimation, that is, his and 99.8% of the male student body, the remaining 2%, by the way, comprised Edgar A. Morstadt, whose proclivities were unapparent until he was drummed out of the military a few years later. He subsequently fled Trouveau for New York City, leaving behind a note that simply read, Well, it kept me out of Vietnam. But let's not dwell. Lester Lee, he'd be distracted from lectures on citizenship and the Electoral College and other civics lessons by Erna May's lustrous auburn hair and the knowledge that 180 degrees frontward, chiseled cheekbones and sea-blue eyes adorned the countenance of this flawless beauty. But the elation in his pubescent heart over her ethereal presence was tempered by a chronic ache, an ache engendered by the knowledge that she was the football captain's girlfriend. That's right. Lester Lee's goddess had given her heart to that self-same nemesis that bullied the hapless young man on an almost daily basis. I say almost daily because they rarely crossed paths on the weekends. But Monday through Friday, well, the Colosseum in Rome had nothing on the gladiatorial aggression of a high school hallway. A hopeless situation for our demi-hero? So you'd think. But then came a Thursday night in 
well, February, I think. A barren month is February without the adrenaline surge of the November-December holiday cluster or the hopeful warming trends come March. No, it's a dark, cold month, one that encourages dark, cold behavior as desperate youth seek respite from the grinding constants of gray skies and school assignments. So it was on this bitter Thursday evening, temperature 28 degrees, that the phone rang in Lester Lee's house, with his mama shortly announcing that the call was for him. Hello, says the boy into the receiver, unused to anyone phoning him up. Lester Lee comes a voice from the other end. Lester Lee from Civics. The voice was soft, yet full of what the physicists call potential energy. Yes, says the boy. Lester Lee, this is Erna May Dilly. You remember me? Since Lester Lee had thought of the girl every three seconds or so for the past 210 days, well, he went ahead and answered yes. Well, I just wanted to ask, says Erna May, if you wanted to go out sometime. Now, for a fellow like Lester Lee, such a question was tantamount to asking if he'd like to breathe oxygen. There's not but a single answer, and that's an affirmative one. But stunned as the boy was, he wasn't too fuzzled to pick up the sound of girlish chortles in the background. Merriment from multiple sources, a crowd of Erna May's co-ed cohorts doing their best not to laugh too loudly and give away the prank. So what's your answer, Lester Lee, says Erna May, barely able to contain her own guffaws. Now, the boy, he was in a tricky situation here. He knew if he said yes, there'd be gales of laughter from the earpiece, followed by Erna May's phone slamming down, and by morning, school-wide awareness that he, the lowest totem on the pole, had dared think that he was seriously being approached for a rendezvous with the prettiest gal around. The trip to his locker would turn into a gauntlet of derision, interspersed with a clout or two from the larger boys. But to say, no, he was not interested in a romantic assignation, would leave him open to accusations that he was no man at all, for what red-blooded male in Truvo's halls of academe would not wish to keep company with the beauteous Miss Dilly. This would manifest as yet another gauntlet, to much the same effect. What then to do? Well, like I said at the start, people will surprise you. And it was here that Lester Lee did just that. Cornered like a rat, faced with certain scorn and confronted by the love of his life, he, for the first time in his invisible life, spoke from the heart. A clearing of the throat was followed by a slight pause, and then he began. Erna May, says Lester Lee, Erna May, I know this to be tomfoolery, for a gal such as you would harbor no attraction to a boy such as I. For I've no great talent for athletics, nor am I an ace with the books. Plus, I sport neither a pleasing visage nor a magnetic personality. There was a light giggle from the receiver, but Lester Lee plowed on. I do, however, says he, possess one gift, and it is an ability for which I am truly grateful. It is a gift for seeing beyond the superficial, for recognizing the person inside. And that means I see inside you, Erna May. I see within you that light, that basic decency that is the true source of your allurement. Sure, any boy would be proud to attend a dance with an attractive girl on his arm, but how many see the best in you? I do, Erna May. At this, Lester Lee paused and was bet by silence, so he continued. I know I don't have a chance with you, said he, but this is something I've wanted to say for a long time, and whatever fellow you do choose, I hope you make sure it's someone who knows you're not just beautiful, you're also wonderful. 
And with that, Lester Lee set the receiver down on its carriage. So can you guess, ladies and gentlemen, what came of this encounter? Well, now, would you be surprised to learn that Lester Lee and Erna May just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, a celebration attended by their five children and 11 grandchildren? Well, guess what? They didn't. In fact, what really happened was, next day, when Lester Lee went to school, he got punched out by the football captain for talking fancy to his girlfriend. That bully's the one who married Erna May, and they've been happy and successful low these many decades. Only four children and seven grandchildren, but they think that's plenty. As for Lester Lee, I've no idea what happened to him. Guess whatever it was, it was of little notice or importance. Serves him right, too. Who do you think he was, Shakespeare? Inner light. What a lot of hooey. And hey, folks, sorry if the ending's a letdown, but that's real life. Yes, sir. Old Cecil Calloway has been under the weather of late. Well, considering the man's 92, I guess you could call it weather as usual. I mean, the fella is old. Farmer Gray, aged though he is, comports himself like a spring chicken in comparison. Anyway, Cecil, he's making plans to enter an assisted care facility in Zare County, tying up loose ends and such. One such end is Cecil's 14-year-old cat, Stalin. Apparently, the feline's original name was Pickles, but based on its peevish temperament, Cecil devised the autocratic sobriquet, which stuck. Anyway, Cecil cannot take Stalin to the care facility, and so was tasked with finding him a new home. Consequently, the elderly gentleman, cognizant that my beloved Elspeth continues to hide in the storm cellar for fear of a North Korean attack, and that I am, for all intents and purposes, alone in my house, he asked if the animal might find refuge at Gray Farm. Well, I was of a mind to do Cecil a good turn, for he is an upright Baptist, and before his retirement as church handyman, an industrious laborer. But before taking on this new obligation, I felt an interrogatory of Stalin's curriculum vitae would be apropos. So I asked Cecil, is he a mouser? No, said Cecil, never was and couldn't be now. No teeth left, you see. Uh-huh, says I. Well, is he a barn cat fit to frighten the vermin if his feral aspect, with his feral aspect, if not devour them? No, says Cecil, he's a house cat. Wouldn't leave his blanket if you threw wide the doors and windows. I see, I see, says I. Well, what about those feline hormones? Does he suffuse the purlieu with chemical warnings against rodential eruption? Can't say as he does, replies Cecil. Probably his chemicals are all dried up, or so I'd guess. Mm-hmm, says I. Well, Cecil, he sounds like the most useless critter in all creation. True enough, says he and so old and churlish as to serve no good use as a companion. Then why, Brother Cecil, says I, what I wish to adopt, said Animal, especially when I hold title to a working farm where all inhabitants, human and non, must serve the greater purpose. No good reason, says Cecil, except all the things wrong with him are the same ones wrong with me. I've nowhere to go but assisted living. I was hoping he'd meet a better fate. So I took in the feckless creature. Stalin, I mean, not Cecil. And I can't say, but there is nothing to recommend it. Indolent, imperious, and recreant, this bindle is no credit to his hard-working brethren, dubbed Felis Catus. 
Worse yet, he has commandeered my favorite chair, that quaggy chattel in which I'd find refuge after a long day at the plow. Is he a prankster, Cecil Calloway, encumbering old Farmer Gray with this household knave? Was this a devious feint before the last stop on the road to eternity? I am alternately appalled and impressed that a man of 92 years might be capable of such machinations. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs) 